Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading this evening is taken from Acts chapter 9, beginning to read at verse 1, and can be found on page 1102 in the Church Bibles. So, page 1102, Acts chapter 9, beginning to read at verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? 
Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Heather. Uh, it's good to see you all here this evening. I hope you've been enjoying our Acts series. Um, this is actually the last one of the series uh, this evening. I've, uh, I've really enjoyed getting into these first nine chapters of Acts over the last few months. We'll be picking up again in, uh, in November, I think. Um, but uh, this is the last one for the, for the time being. So let's pray, asking for God's help as we get into it now. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you particularly for some of these amazing stories in Acts. Thank you for your wonderful, powerful grace to save people. Oh Lord, might we know it for ourselves. Might we uh, experience that true freedom of your love and your forgiveness for each one of us. Oh Lord, for any here this evening burdened with guilt or uncertainty, please, Lord, might their eyes be opened to know your grace for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Who can become a Christian? Who can receive forgiveness? Is anyone too bad? With lots of us here this evening, it wouldn't surprise me if some here feel like that's you, too bad to be forgiven. Maybe there's stuff in your past, something that happened, maybe lots of things that happened, maybe a whole life that happened, and it was bad, and it haunts you, and you think God will never forgive that. Maybe there's stuff going on right now in your life. You're caught up in something and you can't get free and you're thinking, God will never accept me. This could be people who are Christian already, people who are not yet Christian. The guilt of it, whoever we are, it weighs us down. It could be known, it could be secret. Everyone else might know what we did and we've got the constant sense of shame and judgment. Or no one knows. And it's the fear of being found out 
but the guilt is killing us. If this is you today in any way, I hope today's passage will be really helpful for you. First, I'd like to talk about Oppenheimer. Have people seen that film? Uh, I've not seen the Barbie film yet. I can't do that sort of Barbenheimer comparison for you. I'm sure there's others who can uh, talk you through that. Uh, I have seen Oppenheimer. Uh, there's some sort of unhelpful and unnecessary sex stuff in there, but, but it is a, it's a good film. Uh, it's, it's really thought-provoking, or at least it was for me. Uh, for those who don't know, it's about the man, uh, Oppenheimer, who led the Manhattan Project. That's the, sort of the project during World War II where the Americans were trying to build an atomic bomb. And, uh, and they did it, and then they dropped it on Japan twice to end the World War. It's a long and intense film. It's, uh, it's got no let-up for three hours. Uh, with Christopher Nolan films, it's got that usual sort of strange things going on with the timeline, uh, sort of jumping around between different parts of the story. Uh, the third hour kind of explains it all with lots of, sort of layers of talking about what was going on in the film. As I was watching it, it seemed to me there were two questions bubbling away through the film. Was the bomb good or bad? Well, it's complicated. And then was Oppenheimer good or bad? And again, it's complicated. There's this one scene, you'll know the scene I'm talking about if you've seen it, where he's being like worshipped like a hero because of the great success. While at the same time, he's despairing for what he's done. He's, he's stopped the war, but by killing millions. He calls himself the destroyer of men, the destroyer of worlds. And by the end of the film, it's clear he wants forgiveness. But he can't find it. He accepts having his reputation destroyed in public, thinking maybe that will do it. He's overwhelmed with guilt. And the only real answer is, bear it. Pull yourself together and bear it. It's tough. It's a tough film with a tough message. And it's an extreme example, but it helps us think about what we're doing with our guilt. Can we ever be forgiven, or do we just have to pull ourselves together? Do we just have to bear it? This story in Acts is another extreme example. Saul, but his story takes us in a completely different direction with our guilt. In some eyes, Saul was very good, very, very good, a hero, a religious zealot. In other eyes, he was very, very wicked, persecuting Christians, overseeing the murder of Stephen. But Jesus meets him and says two things to you, to him. I'm going to save you and I'm going to send you. And so we'll see in Saul that it is possible for our guilt to be forgiven. The gospel of Jesus is big enough for that. Big enough for each one of us. And then we too can become witnesses to the gospel of grace. Just to say, I'm going to inevitably flick between calling him Saul and Paul 
For those of you who don't know, he's, um, he sort of later changes his name to Paul, and that's how we generally know him. Uh, but it's the same person, Saul and Paul, same person. Well, here's the main thing that I think we'll see today in this story. Jesus makes Saul both the messenger of the gospel and the model of the gospel. Just a reminder of the, uh, the storyline of Acts so far, the big picture. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you should know this by now. The message of Jesus will be proclaimed in Jerusalem, then in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And it started in Jerusalem. Then by chapter 8, they got to Samaria. Philip preached the gospel there. And in chapter 10, we will break down that barrier into the Gentile world with Peter. But here in chapter 9... God prepares the man who will take on that mission. Once Peter has opened the door, Saul is going to run through it and preach the gospel to anyone he finds. He's going to spread the word around the world. But the last we knew of Peter, of Saul, he was persecuting Christians. And it's in that mode that we pick up with him again, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. This is dark, isn't it? Breathing out murderous threats. Wanting to travel to another city to arrest people there. Men and women, why not children too? He's filled with rage against Christians. But God has a plan for him. Verse 3, on the road, the light shone around him and someone was in the light. He didn't know at first who it was. He's in no doubt that this figure is sort of majestic. He calls him Lord. And then he hears that it's Jesus. And everything comes crashing down. Everything he thought was false was true. Jesus wasn't a great heretic. He really did rise from the dead. He is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Lord of all. So is this now his moment of judgment retribution for Stephen and all the other Christians? No, verse 6. Get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. He's blind for three days, led into the city and waits there. In verse 10, we meet Ananias. He's a wonderful Christian man. He gets a vision too. He's told to go to Saul. He's understandably scared, but Jesus reassures him. And he says what must have been a baffling thing to hear, verse 15. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I don't know what he'd make of that, but he goes And he meets Saul with the most amazing Christian welcome. Brother Saul. 
brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. His eyes are open. He can see. He believes. He has the Spirit. He's baptized. He eats again. His strength returns. And the zealous persecutor immediately starts preaching for Jesus. What a change. Verse 20, preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. Everyone's astonished. People can't answer him with his great religious background. He's now able to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. Then the suffering, which Jesus said would happen, begins. And there's no gentle start for Saul. Verse 23, a conspiracy to kill him. But he escapes in a basket through an opening in the wall. This moment, Paul would later say, defined his ministry. Preaching in the face of opposition and, and finding himself in places of embarrassing weakness. Verse 26, he goes to Jerusalem. The pattern repeats itself. People are wary of him. Barnabas, like Ananias, takes a chance and welcomes him. Saul speaks boldly there again. And again, he has to flee for his life. But the end result, verse 31, is peace for the church and growth. It's a remarkable story, isn't it? One of many remarkable stories in Acts. And I think it shows us that Jesus makes Saul both the messenger of the gospel and the model of the gospel. Let me explain each half of that. We need to know Paul's origin story to understand that he's being commissioned by Jesus as a messenger of the gospel. He is an apostle just like the other apostles. Do you remember in Acts chapter 1? Uh, before the sort of story really kicked off, they had to confirm who the apostles were. Judas was out and Matthias came in. And do you remember the requirements? They must have seen Jesus risen and they must have been chosen by him, not men. So for Matthias, they did the casting of lots, didn't they? Well, this story shows that Saul is the same. He becomes the 13th apostle, the apostle to the Gentiles. And he too saw Jesus risen and alive. And he was chosen by Jesus. No one else picked him. No apostle said, let's get Saul involved. Paul makes a really big deal of this himself. For example, in Galatians, he really lays this out. And so we should make a big deal of this too, because it's the foundation for his authority. Like the other apostles, he can speak for Jesus. We check people's authority, don't we? A man comes to the door introducing himself, saying that he's a policeman, but he's in plain clothes. So you should ask to see their badge. Same when someone from the bank phones up. So also, proof of Paul's authority really matters. 
Back then, the Christians sort of all around Greece and Turkey and Italy, they were a long way from Jerusalem. They had never met the first apostles. Paul had brought the gospel to them, and they were asking questions like, is what we heard from Paul the true gospel? Are we aligned with the original Jewish church? If so, why are we suffering so much, even suffering from Jewish people? And people were coming in saying, no, you were wrong to listen to Paul. And today, the questions about him might be a little bit different. Does what Paul wrote in his letters match with what Jesus says in the Gospels? Do we have to stick with what Paul says about men and women and, and marriage and relationships? And similarly, there are people today who are saying, no, you don't have to listen to Paul. So to us now, and then back then, and anyone asking, do we have to listen to Paul? The answer is yes. He's a messenger of the gospel sent by Jesus. Remember the Damascus Road. And if he is such an important messenger of the gospel, it's really important that he's also then a model for the gospel. The teaching he takes to the world must be true in his own life. And so Jesus manages to choose a man who perfectly displays the gospel in his own story. He takes various elements of the gospel and shows them to the extreme in Saul. There are at least three parts of the gospel you can see on display in Saul's life. First, no matter how bad your sin is, you can be forgiven by Jesus. In 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, Paul describes himself as the chief of sinners, the worst possible sinner. He was a murderer. He'd been chasing down Christians, having them arrested and killed. Objectively, that is worse than most of us. He was fighting against Jesus. Yet, he was forgiven. So he models the fact that all sin can be forgiven. Second, he also manages to model the gospel reality that no matter how good you think you are, you just need Jesus. In Philippians chapter 3, he describes how religious he was, how, how strictly he tried to observe all the Old Testament rules, how perfect his religious obedience was. His works righteousness surpassed any of ours. But then he came to discover it meant nothing. He just needed Jesus. And third, he shows us that no matter how weak you are, there is power in Jesus. From the very beginning, he suffered and he was opposed. He looked weak and pathetic, fleeing in a laundry basket out of a window. Have some dignity, man. But there was power from Jesus and so somehow he took the gospel to the whole world. Jesus chose a man who exemplified the gospel. So when proclaiming that all sins could be forgiven, he would say, look at me. 
When proclaiming religious effort gets you nowhere, he would say, look at me. When teaching that there's power and weakness, he would say, how else am I doing this? Jesus makes Saul both the messenger of the gospel and the model of the gospel. So then what does this mean for us? I think it's this. Have confidence to believe in Jesus and join the mission of the church. This is actually the point of the whole of Acts, I think. Uh, So it's a good note on which to end our series. Have confidence to believe in Jesus and join the mission of the church. As I said at the beginning, some of you might be thinking, I'm too bad. I can't be forgiven. Something in your past that haunts you. Stuff going on right now that surely disqualifies you. Maybe as a Christian or not. Maybe known or in secret. And the guilt is too much. Well, if Paul could be forgiven, then so can you. Jesus' death on the cross is enough to pay for whatever you've done. Believe in him. Glenn Scrivener's an evangelist, and uh, some of you will have heard of him. The other day he tweeted this. I don't know if you can read that. I hope so. He says this, uh, Prediction. At some point, we'll hear news that Lucy Letby has turned to Jesus, and we'll all have to figure out what to do with that. The tweet got a lot of reaction. It's an uncomfortable idea that in theory she could be forgiven if she turned to Jesus. Not everyone likes it. But for those of you burdened down by your guilt, this is your relief. You don't have to be like Oppenheimer, trying to make penance or bearing it all. You can truly be forgiven. If you want to know more about this, please come and talk to me afterwards. I'll sort of be hanging around up here. Or find someone else you want to talk to. Open up. Let the burden go. Give it to Jesus. Some of you will be thinking, I won't be able to change. I can't become a Christian. I know I'll carry on living my messy life. Well, it is All forgiven. Past sins, future sins. They were all in the future when Jesus died on the cross. We all carry on sinning and we all carry on being forgiven. But also Jesus does have the power to change you. For Saul it was so dramatic. And for some, uh, for us there will be some immediate changes on conversion. But many things will be a slow change through the Christian life, by the power of Jesus in you. We're in a community of grace that allows for change and facilitates it. Don't hold back thinking that you won't be able to change. Some here will be in that other camp though, thinking I'm actually quite good. Some of us are good in religious sorts of ways. I meet people and they say they're religious and I ask, what do you think God thinks of you? 
And most are satisfied that they're okay. They say, I've been brought up a Christian. I've been baptized. I attend church some of the time, maybe even lots of the time. I take communion. Yeah, I'm okay with God. Some of us are good in non-religious ways. We look at our lives and think, we do enough good. On the balance of things, we are good. Or maybe even we've done some exceptionally good things. Michael Bloomberg is an American businessman. He once gave $50 million to advocate gun control. And when asked about it, said this, I'm telling you, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. Look, if Paul couldn't get right with God through all he did, then neither will we. Only Jesus makes us right with God. Let that stuff go and believe in Jesus alone. This affects how we view other people as well, doesn't it? The really good, the really bad, the people who are mixed, which is all of us really. They need to hear about Jesus. You might have some people at school, university, neighbors on the street, colleagues, and you really don't like them. They're not good people. They cause trouble. They've caused you hurt. Well, you're going to really need to believe the gospel yourselves because this won't be easy. But don't they need to hear as well? Don't think they're too bad. The gospel of Jesus could save them. But also, don't ever think anyone is too good. Good enough already. Good people need Jesus too. We all need Jesus too. And maybe you think, I can't, I'm too shy, I don't know what I'd say, I don't think anyone would respond, I'd probably just get myself into hot water. And I'm not going to say, go on, just be like Saul. He was sent by Jesus with a mission to pioneer the work in the whole Gentile world. He had particular courage and special empowering from the Spirit. But weren't there lots of ordinary Christians around at the time as well? And what do you think they were doing? I bet they were getting in Saul's slipstream. I bet they were saying things like this. Maybe they were in the crowd listening to him and at the end turning to their friend and saying, well, what do you make of that? Or they were saying to someone they work with, have you heard about Saul? He's properly changed. You should come and hear him speak sometime. Or over a meal, you know how Saul's been preaching about Jesus? Well, I've actually decided to follow him too. It's that sort of thing. They're not up in the temple preaching. They're just telling people about Jesus in ordinary ways. And it's that sort of thing that we can all do. An invite to church. An invitation to this, this um, uh, fate thing we're doing. Or just telling someone you're a Christian. Giving someone a gospel and asking if they'd like to read it with you. And we've all got the Spirit. He'll guide us into good conversations and He'll help us speak about Jesus. 
Suffering and opposition is the pattern. We can't deny that. We go out in weakness. But the gospel will advance nevertheless because it's the power of Jesus. We're pausing our ACT series here and I wonder what you've appreciated most. We've seen stories of boldness, stories of God's grace, stories of the spreading gospel. Jesus really is Lord. He's on the throne in heaven. The gospel about him is worth believing. The gospel about him is worth telling. And imagine what it would be like if we had this confidence, meeting weekly with joy like the early church did, working at being a loving and inclusive family, striving to be a witness in the world, praying for God's help, taking every opportunity to talk about Jesus and and welcoming in people who believe. It might be hard. There might be opposition. But it will be exciting to see the power and grace of God at work in the world today. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the grace that is available to us all through Jesus. Thank you that it was grace enough for Saul and grace enough for each one of us. Help us to receive that, to believe in Jesus and to have confidence in him. Lord, for any here wondering whether to receive it for themselves, please open up their hearts. They might come to Jesus in faith and find freedom from their guilt. And for all of us, give us such a confidence and a hope and a joy that we might go out with the gospel. Help us to be a light in this world for your name's sake. Amen.